Good morning. It's great to be with you today. I, uh, I notice we have at least a fair amount of younger people here. So what I'm about to tell you might, might not be true for you right at this moment, but I assure you, it's coming. And what I mean by that is for you that are more, say, my age or maybe a little more seasoned, you ever find this experience where you, you walk in the room and then can't remember why you went in there? I do this all the time. I'm getting pretty good at it. But another way that I've seen this play out, at least for me, is I think I'm doing this to myself because I'm trying to come up with a way to remember things, you know, like to prove that I can still do it. So when my wife says, um, I need you to go to the grocery store and I need you to get to that, I don't even write it down. I don't even write it down because I think, well, I'm going to go there and I'm just going to remember, right? Uh, and then I get to the grocery store and the first thing I'm distracted by is popcorn. I love popcorn. And apparently if I see popcorn, I can't remember anything else about the list. I don't know why I'm there. I don't know where I am, but I've also learned this. In addition, well, I guess I get the cart, you know, to, and I wheel the cart around because it makes me feel like if I... If I just see the item I'm looking for, then it'll be like, oh, of course, that's it right there. And then I get home, of course, and I got none of what was on the list, and we have to have this whole discussion. But it, what's worse than that is if you're in the store and you find an employee, that's becoming a rare act as well. But if you find an employee in the store and you say something along the lines of, do you have any idea why I'm here? <laughs> Talk about social distancing. The person just sort of walks away. I would too. But this whole idea of like, well, what, what is it like to remember? Well, there's lots of information, right? We, we have lots of things that we're trying to remember all of the time. And there's so much that keeps coming at us that it, it can throw us off very easily. Right before the service started, someone asked me for my son's phone number. And I had to honestly say, I have no idea what his phone number is. After you program it in the phone, that's it right? And so there's a lot of different things that we, we take for granted that we, we're trying to remember and maybe, or maybe not, are doing a very good job of actually remembering. But what about that relates to this whole idea of faith and, and our journey together through the Gospel of John and, and just considering th some of the things that we've talked about, uh, some of the most basic things that maybe we take for granted, like we've got a Bible that we're able to have in our hand, 66 books in the Bible. And yet we talk about, well, it's the word of God. 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 And yet do we really consider or think about, well, why do we say that? And how do we know that's actually true? What, what, what kind of faith do we have in terms of understanding that when we say the Bible is the word of God, that we have that based on something. What is it based on? Just because somebody told us or, or what is it? And so we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at, at this today because remember this, the context of this is that Jesus has been telling his disciples that he's going away. And these disciples have been with him for three years. And now when they get to kind of this crucial point, Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, I'm going away. And this is a shock to the disciples' world. They have no idea. We mean you're leaving. We've, we've left everything. We've dropped everything. We've given up everything to come and follow you. None of this has really worked out like we had thought it would. And now you're going to leave? What are you talking about? And so Jesus, all throughout the Gospel of John in chapter 14, 
We, this is the third week now we spent in this. And Jesus is comforting his disciples and their troubled hearts, all associated with this fact that he keeps telling them, I am leaving. They still don't even yet really truly understand what that means, but we'll, we'll touch on that as well. But before we actually get in, we're going to finish chapter 14 today. We're going to look specifically at verses 25 to 31. But before we dive into that and, and see what Jesus is saying to us today, right here and now, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. Lord, we don't have life without Jesus. And so we now ask in these moments that it not be my word, but it be your word that is preached and proclaimed in this place. Lord, would you preach to us in such a way that the word does what it says, that it raises dead sinners and brings them into relationship with you. Lord, we want that so badly. And so we surrender this time to you. We give this time to you. We ask that, that you have your way in our hearts and in our lives. May we turn to you. May we listen to you. And may we be transformed by your presence in this time that we have together. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so before uh, we get into some of the details, I just want to read this little, it's not a lot of verses, just verses 25 to 31. I want to read this and then we'll go back and actually see, well, what is God saying to us through this? Not just the disciples, but what is God saying to us? Uh, this is starting in verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so then when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Now, again, this, because this is a continuation, especially over the things that we've talked about for the last two weeks, uh, last week we spent a lot of time talking about this advocate, uh, this Holy Spirit that Jesus tells the disciples, hey, when I go, I will ask the Father and the Father will send another advocate. We talked about that word advocate. Well, what is what does that really mean, advocate? Uh, because some translations, depending on what translation you're reading in your Bible, might say helper or comforter, uh, might say advocate, could, could say a number of those. And it's all of those things. It's all of those things. But specifically, the, the word advocate is probably the most appropriate because it describes someone who is sent to come alongside someone else. And that's what we really see being true in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, I am not abandoning you. I am not leaving you as orphans. I am sending another who will do for you what I have been doing for you over the last three years. Only in this particular case, 
it's even better than just what that kind of generic coming alongside might mean to us because Jesus also says, the Father and I will come to you in this advocate, this Holy Spirit, and make our home in you. That's an amazing promise. And so Jesus has been saying all of these things as a way to comfort and encourage his disciples, which he knows have troubled hearts. He knows they don't know what's coming. He knows they don't know what to expect. And so if we just look at uh, what he says in verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, all this, well, all this is just what he has been saying in chapter 14. If we just look at what the promises are that Jesus has made to his disciples in this chapter up to this point alone, it's absolutely amazing. Listen to this, this starting at the beginning of, of uh, chapter 14, I am going to prepare a place for you in the father's house. I will come back and take you to be with me. From now on, you know the father and you have seen him. Whoever believes in me will do even greater works than me. Anyone who loves me will keep my commandments. The father will send the spirit of truth who will be with you forever. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. Because I live, you will live also. I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. My father and I will make our home in all who believe and trust in my name. Now that's a pretty good list of promises already, right? Isn't it? And we're just, this is just in one chapter, just in these first 24 verses. Now, guess what? The promises are not over. The remaining verses in this chapter, not only confirm the promises that Jesus has made previously, but he's even making new promises. But with all of that, again, there's a lot contained in all this I have said to you. How in the world do these disciples remember this? How can they possibly remember this? Because if we know how the Bible came into being, so to speak, if we call it the word of God, well, we had the Hebrew Bible or the, the Old Testament, we might call it the scriptures that were passed along. It was largely an oral tradition, people just passing on the stories from generation to generation. Just like God told Moses, that's part of your job in relationship with God is you pass this faith on to the next generations. Well, now here we have these these. Well, it's not just men, by the way, it's men and women following Jesus. And what is going to happen then when they didn't have a Bible, they likely had very little access to any sort of written material of any kind. They had this oral tradition where they spoke all this. Well, so what you know as the Bible and what you can hold in your hand, very nicely bound in whatever leather you would like, that didn't even exist in that form until at least 350 years after these events. And so when it comes to, well, when were these books of the Bible actually written, especially when it comes to the New Testament, the apostle Paul wrote all of these letters. They're the oldest, they're the closest letters that we have to the time where Jesus walked the earth. They were written probably between 10 and 15 years after the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And so what happened 
during the meantime? Did they just forget everything? The Gospels themselves were not written and recorded in the way that the form that we have them now until the mid first century. And the Gospel of John was the last one all the way toward probably the end of the first century. And so how did they remember all this? How could they recall this? How could they write it down? How could they make sure that this was what God intended to communicate? And well, this is what we have in verse 26. Jesus says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is good news, not just for them, but this is good news for us too, because we're part of the same tradition, but we shouldn't be so quick to take the Bible for granted. All of these disciples that followed him, with the exception of, of John, who didn't die when they tried to kill him, all of them were hunted down, persecuted, and ultimately martyred for their faith, and they refused to renounce their faith in Jesus. That is really quite something. If it was just a bunch of fairy tales, would you really be willing to go all the way to your own death to protect a story that isn't true? No, I don't believe that's true at all. I believe that the Holy Spirit is exactly who God sent to be not just with these disciples, not just to help them remember, not just to teach them all things, but also to help give them the confidence and the courage to walk these steps of faith that are not easy. And so when we think about the miracle of the Bible, that it exists at all, we have to consider that this, this ragtag group of, of nobodies, they somehow were able to keep forwarding this information on, largely just by word of mouth, telling one another these stories, then eventually writing it down. But there was no, there was no TikTok, uh, there was no voice memo, there was no, you know, video taping of any kind. There was no, there wasn't even a cassette recorder. I know some of you might be surprised by that, but they had nothing. And yet, we have this amazing, infallible word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, who helps them remember all that Jesus has taught them. But it isn't just for them. It isn't just for them. Now, Rick, two weeks ago, talked a lot about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? We talk about we have one God and three persons. One God, not three gods, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the, the fact that the Bible exists at all is a work of all three members of the Trinity. The Father, God the Father spoke the word. The word, you know. That's what Jesus has just said to these guys. You know, because the word became flesh in the person of Jesus who came and dwelt amongst us. So the, the Father spoke the word. The word is Christ who became flesh and became a human, one of us, fully God, fully human. The world ultimately rejected him, crucified him, and planned on him being gone. And the Holy Spirit, who then inspired the people with the hands who wrote it down and continues to bring it to life to us today, is, it didn't stop there. I, I just said it's, it wasn't just for these disciples. This advocate, this Holy Spirit, was sent for you and for me. And if you're a believer 
in Jesus and you trust in him, then you have the Holy Spirit, not just beside you, but inside of you, living in you and working on you and through you. So we could say it this way, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writing of God's word illuminates the hearing of God's word. The same Holy Spirit that inspired the writing of God's word illuminates the hearing of God's word. And just like we talked about last week, we talked all about faith. We talked, we remember we, we, we said that there are two main commands of Jesus throughout the gospel of John, believe and love. We talked about the order of that is important. We first come to faith and we believe in Jesus. And then as a consequence or a result of that faith, it is active in us as we love one another. The world will try to tell you, well, you don't need Jesus to love one another. And so we either eliminate Jesus entirely from the equation altogether, or we try to reverse the order, or we play all these games to try to make it more like the way we want it rather than the way it is. And the way it is, is that we come to faith in Jesus, and the consequence of that faith is that it's active in love. Okay, so we talked about that last week. Well, guess what? This week, we're hearing again that this word of God is not a book full of dead letters, but it's living. The word is alive in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is bringing the word of God to life in us and is working through us as that word continues to transform us and those that God places in our lives. It's not just something for the disciples long ago. It's something for us right now. And how does this happen? How do we know that that's what Paul actually writes in Romans chapter 10? Faith itself comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. And so whenever we hear the word of God preached and proclaimed, whenever it doesn't have to be in a public situation, it can be in us talking to one another as a means of encouraging one another and calling one another to faith. It can be us reading the word of God alone. Rest assured that these are not dead letters. This is the living, breathing word of God made alive by his Holy Spirit. Coming to life in you to, to work on your heart, to transform who you are, to call you into new life with Jesus. That's an amazing thing. But can we hear it? Can we hear that? Because we have a lot of trouble these days hearing. Hearing one another, hearing from God. We've got a lot of distractions. We've got a lot of things competing for our attention. But hearing in this sense is even more specific than what you and I might think of when we just talk about hearing and listening and that kind of stuff. This is, this is even more specific because when we're talking about hearing God's word, what is required is that the Holy Spirit of God will open our ears to hear. That's what we pray for. That's what we ask God for. Open our ears so that we can hear your word. So that instead of just hearing my own words running around in my mind, Lord, come to me by the power of your spirit, by the presence of your spirit, and reveal truth to me about who I am and who I am in you, who you are and who you are calling me to become. This is an amazing thing. So that the ears to hear the truth. Remember, Jesus 
in verse 6 in chapter 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We can't have the truth without Jesus, no matter what the world would try to convince us to the contrary of. Jesus is the truth. And so for us to know the truth, we've got to be reminded of what that truth is. And thankfully, God has sent another advocate to bring that truth to life in us. And when it's God's word, not our words, when it's God's word, then it actually does what it says. It's not just for information. It's transformation. And how do we know this? Well, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55 says this. Take a listen to this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now, isn't that amazing? Because what that means to us is that God's word is infallible. It will accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish. But depending on where we're at in our relationship with God, or if we even have a relationship with God, it will change the way that we hear God's word, depending on how the Lord is working on us. For an easy test, I'll just throw this out there. What comes into your mind, into your heart, into your soul when you hear the, the famous scripture, be holy as I am holy. Some of you, when you hear be holy as I am holy, will immediately be like, I've got a lot of work to do. Some of you might say, oh, it must not be for me. I couldn't ever possibly live up to that standard. I'm not holy. And then there are some that will hear that, be holy as I am holy. And they will know in their heart that what God is saying to you is that because God is holy and because he says you are holy, then you are. Not because you figured it out. Not because you did all the right things to somehow unlock the, the safe. But because God's word does what it says. So therefore, you want to know why you're holy? It's not because of what you've done. It's not because of, of who you think you are. It's because of who God says you are. Be holy as I am holy. That's a promise but depending on how the Holy Spirit of God is working in our hearts, that will change how we hear those words. Sometimes we need to be convicted that we're not measuring up. Sometimes we need to be convicted of the sin that we would love to try to convince everyone that we don't have. And in those moments when it creeps up into our conscience and we, we have the recognition that we're never going to be able to live up to God's perfect standards. Then we're thankful to God for sending people in our life who will tell us the good news. You are made holy by the word of God who comes to you 
to guide you, yes, but to live inside you, to change you from the inside out. That's, that's a truly amazing thing. And so the, the result of all of that is peace. We have peace with God that we would not otherwise have. We have peace with God through the Son, Jesus Christ, who was sent because God so loves the world that he sent his one and only son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus was horribly persecuted. He was ultimately nailed to a cross, loaded up with the sin of the entire world. Your sin, my sin, the sin of all the world for all of time, past, present, and future, where he was crucified and was killed, at which point he separated us once and for all from the condemnation that comes with the sin, what we deserve, how we haven't been holy, how we haven't been perfect. And then he was buried, but it turns out, you know, Jesus is good at a lot of things, but it turns out that he's really not very good at being dead, right? He only made it three days. I mean, come on. And then he was raised to new life. And because he lives, just like he promises here, because he lives, you and I will also live. Not because we earned it, but by his grace, by his mercy, by his goodness, he comes to us and favors us for our sake. Which is an entirely different kind of peace than the world can offer. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now here it is. I do not give to you as the world gives. Therefore, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, when it comes to our understanding of peace in this world, what do we think of when we think of peace? I can almost promise you that every definition we can come up with by the world's standard will be the absence of something, the absence of struggle, the absence of conflict, the absence of challenges, the absence of poverty, the, I mean, on and on and on and on. And it's all tied to, we think that we can have peace if we can just get rid of something that's causing us trouble. And so we're really talking about from the world's perspective, peace is just a state of mind, right? Ultimately, we, we think of peace from the world's standard as, well, if I can just have peace of mind, then everything will be fine. But that is not the way that Jesus gives this peace, and that is not the peace that he gives. Peace, in the way that Jesus is talking about it, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Paul writes about that in Galatians chapter 5. Peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit working in you and working through you, so that in the midst of of whatever you're facing right now in this moment, whatever challenges, whatever struggles, whatever you might be up against, you are not doing it alone. You have not been orphaned. God has been faithful and has sent you his spirit who has come to you and is with you, not beside you alone, but also in you so that you are never facing any challenge in life alone. And so the way that Jesus gives peace is not the absence of something, it's the presence of himself. He's come to make his home in you, to be with you. 
so that heaven is not just something in a far off place that we hope to get to somehow when we die. No, heaven has come to us and is being revealed to us and the kingdom of God is living in us and working through us. That life, this new life starts now through the way, the truth and the life. That's what these disciples are being reminded of when the father sends the spirit. And that is what you and I are reminded of. That's what is happening when we say we're being taught all there is about Jesus. We'll never know everything, but we do know that he is faithful. He has come to us and he has taken our sin upon himself and removed it from us as far as the East is from the West. That's a different kind of peace. So we could say it this way. The world can only give peace of mind. Only God gives peace of heart. The best the world can do is try to give peace of mind. And even that, no matter what we chase after, no matter what we think we're going to do, no matter what problems we think we're going to solve, in the end, the world cannot guarantee peace. The world cannot maintain peace. But the Lord, through his son, and then revealed to us by his spirit, gives us a peace that passes all of our understanding gives us the peace in our heart that only God can provide. That depends on not the absence, but the presence, the presence of Jesus alive and working through us. This should give us incredible comfort because instead of the way the world gives things, which is always conditional and always dependent largely on, well, what kind of resources are available to me to make my problems go away? That is not the kind of peace that God gives. God comes to us, all of us, regardless of any distinguishing characteristic about us and offers us the very same peace that he's offered these disciples. And so he has said an awful lot, all this. And so in verse 28, he said, you heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the father for the father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens. So then it, when it does happen, you will believe. Now, right tucked in the middle of there is something that probably gets our attention. Because again, Rick started a couple of weeks ago. We talked again about it last week, but we, we talked about the whole idea of, of what does it mean that we have a triune God, a God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do we wrap our minds around that? Well, we don't. We don't have to. That, that's not a test. We have to answer every single question about the Trinity and the inner workings of God. Matter of fact, you will drive yourself absolutely nuts trying to figure it all out. Just instead rest in the peace that God gives, knowing that we have all eternity. If you believe and trust in him, we have all of eternity to figure that out. God will continue to reveal more and more about himself. But this little phrase that says, uh, you should be glad I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. Well, we can get really tripped up right there because what do you mean? What do you mean? You just got done saying that the Trinity is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If, if all three are God, one God, then how in the world can one be greater 
than another. That makes absolutely no sense. Well, there's two things I'd like to kind of point out on that. The, the first is that this idea of greater, in this case, goes back to what we talked about last week. When Jesus tells his disciples, you will do even greater works than I, it's not greater in terms of majesty. It's greater in terms of quantity, the multiplying effect of God's word being distributed then through his spirit and no longer localized to just Jesus, flesh and blood. That spirit of God is given to the disciples, is given to us. And so this spirit that lives in us then has this multiplying effect as we're called to go share the good news of Jesus to this world that God loves. And so that's part of it. But greater also in this particular case has to do with the role. Each member of the Trinity has a different role. And so when we get thinking about this and we say, well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, think about it more like each one, each member of the Trinity has a different purpose. The Father, just like we talked about with the creation of the Bible, the Father speaks the word. The word is Jesus and the Holy Spirit opens our ears so that we can not only hear the word, but be transformed by the word. So we can say it this way, each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is equally God. Remember one God, but each have unique roles. So there's three persons. Again, one God in three persons. We don't have to have all the answers, but when we understand, not just intellectually, but when we've been transformed by the truth of who Jesus is, then we know because the Holy Spirit has brought it to light in us, in our hearts, to give us the peace of knowing that the word was made flesh that person of Jesus came and dealt with our sin problem once and for all, crucified for our sins and raised to make us holy. Be holy as I am holy. It's only possible through the one way, Jesus. And these last verses here, verses 30 and 31. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the father and do exactly what my father has commanded me. So I want us to think about two things when it comes to those last two verses. The first is that even when the world thinks it has won the ultimate victory, remember all along through the gospel of John, the particular group, religious group uh, that, that Jesus has been tangling with is this, uh, this religious group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees have their way of doing things. They really don't like that Jesus is coming and challenging the way that they have things. They got a pretty good system going. They want it the way and Jesus is coming. He's busting it all up. They don't want anything to do with that. And so what, what's the solution? Remember, we just got talking, done talking about how does the world have peace, right? So if they want peace, and their problem is Jesus, what's the natural conclusion? Kill him. We kill him, we don't have a problem. But yet, even in Jesus' physical absence, 
he becomes more powerful than the Pharisees or the world could ever comprehend because he sent the advocate. And the advocate is reminding more and more people as he does his work in us and through us, as he brings more people into relationship with God so that we can tell them the good news. But is that what we're saying? Is that what we're communicating? Well, a lot of that depends on what we're putting in. What are we putting in our mind? What are we consuming? Is it something that is destroying us? Or is it something that is bringing us into new life? That's a real challenge. God is speaking all the time. But are we listening? Are we listening? Or are we too busy being distracted by everything else? Because there's lots of stuff that we could choose to be distracted by. There are lots of voices that are all competing for our attention in every Lots of activities, lots of ways that we can distract ourselves, lots of ways we can spend our time, lots of things we can consume. And all the while, we can have these little short-term blips where we think, ah, now I can have peace. No, the only kind of peace that lasts is the peace of God that comes through knowing who Jesus is, knowing what he has done, knowing what his word is, yes, but even more specifically, knowing what that word is saying to you. And what is his word saying to you? I forgive you. My peace I give to you. Another way to say that. I favor you. I am for you. Come to me if you are heavy laden and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because my burden is light. Is that the voice we're listening to or are we listening to other voices? It's a very confused time in our world, but it's not without precedence. If we go all the way back, the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah was on the run because he had shown these troublesome folks in the northern kingdom of Israel at the time, Ahab and Jezebel. He had shown them without a shadow of a doubt who the real God is. And they were furious and they wanted him dead. You see a pattern here? Didn't like what he had to say. Want to take him out, get rid of him. Then we can have peace. And so Elijah is on the run. And so if we we're going to just read a few verses from first Kings chapter 19, verses nine to 13. This is Elijah. He's on the run there. He went to a cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And that's when and where the Lord spoke to him in a whisper. We might say a, a still, small voice, like we read the psalmist writes in Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Are we taking the time to be still and to pursue God and to ask him to reveal truth to us in a way that's not just for our information, but is transformation, and bringing us into to new life? Or have we missed that? Have we listened to other voices instead? What, what are the voices that are the loudest in your life? If you really think about that, don't be quick to answer that, but think about it. Over this next week, what are the loudest voices in your life? And because we know that we're affected by what we listen to and what we put in our bodies one way or another, then the next question is, who is teaching you? Who are you giving right now permission to teach you? Is it the Holy Spirit of God to reveal the truth about Jesus? to lead and guide you in the way that you are going about calling others into relationship with Jesus? Or are you being taught by someone else or something else? God is always speaking, always speaking. Are we listening? Are we listening? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the transformative power of your word, your mercy, your grace. We're thankful that it's just as you've promised, Lord. We're not doing this alone. You have not left us orphaned. You have not abandoned us. You have made yourself known to us. And in so doing, you have shown us the way which is you. You are truth. You are life. Lord, have mercy on us as we have fallen so short. And at the same time, we thank you for your grace that says, even still, it's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And we thank you for what he has done for us. Freed us forever to be who you're calling us to be. Lord, help lead and guide us into whoever that is. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.